This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. Mississippi lawmakers are completing the third week of the 2020 legislative session. As they convene inside the Capitol chambers, a number of rallies have been staged in the hallways and outside the Capitol since day one. At least 10 inmates have died in Mississippi prisons since late December. According to the Mississippi Department of Corrections, most of the fatalities were the result of violent confrontations among inmates at the state penitentiary at Parchman. The department confirms some of the disturbances were gang-related and other deaths have been reported as suicides. Prison advocates and families are calling on legislators to address issues they believe are causing the deadly violence. Sharon Brown is with the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. She says she has a family member currently in custody. She talks with MPB's Desiree Frazier. My immediate concern right now is the number of deaths that's currently being reported. Um, there's no way that ones are just committing suicide back to back. And there's lack of transparency for the parents and loved ones of the inmates. And also not having access to uh, the grounds at parchment. Lawyers have been down. Uh, deny access and not until now and until the pressures of national organizations have come in that you decided to, you know, act upon it. We need an oversight out-of-state committee to come in. And what would they do? They would have an objective view. They wouldn't have any associations tied to anyone in Mississippi to create biases and therefore I, I just feel like that it would alleviate the problem of connections, so to speak. What are you hearing from uh, families and people that you're talking to on a regular basis? Uh, it's several, if not dozens of families who have not heard from their loved ones. They're calling, they can't get any answers. Uh, there's no one there to at least go and do a wellness check to uh, alleviate some of the anxiety and stress that these family members um, is currently going through. And what are your steps? What are your thoughts moving forward? We just need to begin to work to implement a better um, criminal justice system. We are housing, we're in the business of housing inmates, but we're not in the business of really running the prison efficiently. So I just think that, um, you know, bring some national people in and reform the whole entire system. 
Governor Tate Reeves appointed the mayor of Boyle and former state legislator Tommy Taylor as interim MDOC commissioner. The two held a joint press conference yesterday where Reeves said changes are taking place to restore and maintain order throughout the corrections system and specifically at Parchment. Day by day, we are making progress. Today, I want to provide a rundown of some of our first steps to restore order at Parchment since Commissioner Taylor hit the ground running on Monday. A lot of these changes will seem like common sense. That's because they are. They've been needed for a long time, but we are starting from where we are. First, we're working to improve the conditions there. In a lot of places, they're not good. There's no other word for it. They're terrible. I saw it myself today. We deployed maintenance teams from across the state of Mississippi to immediately begin work to improve the physical conditions at Parchment. We're bringing senior leadership to the front lines. We're making sure that a senior officer will be present on the grounds at all times to prevent the leadership void that can lead to chaos. We're cracking down on criminal coordination by using the managed access system to prevent contraband cell phones from being used in all of Parchman's housing units. These phones have been illegal for years, but they've been snuck in. And they're being used to coordinate gang activity throughout the Mississippi system and even throughout the country. That was a large part of what caused the recent series of killings to escalate as much as it did. It's a real problem, and it's got to be taken seriously to save lives. We want to make sure that corrections officers are not creating more problems than they solve. The vast majority of officers are doing difficult work for far too little pay and under very challenging circumstances. We all know that. We are all proud of them and grateful for their service. We also know, if you talk to anybody working in these facilities, that too many can be used by gangs operating within the prison to extend their power and sneak in contraband including weapons. It's got to stop. There's a lot more to be done on this front, but one immediate step is to screen guards for signs of gang affiliation. That work is going on as we speak. We're also taking a look at prisoner distribution, making sure that people who are at risk of creating more violence aren't in jobs or locations that give them access to potential tools or targets of violence. We also need to make sure that prisoners who aren't as likely to be violent aren't sitting around without purpose all day. So we're taking a look at housing and jobs within the prison. Because it is our belief that some changes there could have a real impact. I'm pleased to provide an update on a previous announcement. I told you before that we would be deploying an agent to Parchman to conduct a wide-ranging criminal investigation. That agent has been identified and is on the ground now. That's what we're doing in our first few days to stop the bleeding. We also know that we need to work to rebuild the integrity of the system. That is a much larger conversation. And as I said a week ago, all options are on the table. 44-year-old Kelly Mallet of Kosciuszko says he served eight years for selling drugs. He says he was released from Unit 29 at Parchman during the recent riots.
Mallet says he was part of a group called Growth and Development to prevent violence in prison and encourage one another. But Mallet tells MPB's Desiree Frazier that poor conditions and a lack of staffing create pent-up anger among inmates. I'm, I'm, I'm in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a custody where I was locked in, a, in this cell for 20, it's supposed to be 23 and one, 23 hours a day and one, one hour out of your cell, you know, maybe for uh, take a shower or to, to uh, maybe watch TV or come out and watch a letter or, or pray with your, you know, one of your fellow inmates mm -hmm. or see in parchment, you don't, you may get out once a week to take a shower, mm -hmm. one time. And, and, I, and I went weeks where we didn't get to come out at all, and we had to shower in our sink. But what if you're in a cell with no running water, then how can you take it? You can't even take a, 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 we call it a bird bath in your sink. Oh, it's, it's, it's bad. When they did that, did they say why? Was They're short of staff. They're oh. short of staff. They said, well, we, we, can't, we only got one woman in the building. But actually, it's, it's, it's two women most of the time. They'll say, well, she's a lieutenant because she got a white shirt on. She's supposed to have some bars or she, she done worked at a prison a long time, so she's supposed to have some rank. Now, they'll have one of them, and they'll have a, a regular blue shirt, a, a blue shirt officer to, that's supposed to turn the key. So them guys will be in there beating on the cell, setting fire. Oh, we stank, man. I, we ain't had a shower since such and such. Well, do whatever you got to do because we, we short of staff. We not she can't do this by herself. This one woman can't do this, but this is the way it always is. But they just be like, today we well, yeah, um, y'all can get a shower like they're in a good mood, like it's a game, you know. Oh, I wasn't in a good mood the other day, so y'all gotta be funky for four more days. But uh, since I'm in a good mood today, I guess you guys come out and take a shower. You know that ain't no ain't no righteousness in that. It's not our fault that you you can only send one woman over here to watch all these guys. And these, this is not a daycare. This is a prison. So I understand there's got to be rules and, and some, some boundaries about what these men can do. But they don't deserve to wash their They don't deserve to be able to go wash their at least. We're not even talking about the, the recreational part of it, to just come out and, and maybe say hello to somebody else or, or be able to watch a TV for a few minutes. But ain't none of this going on. No TV? No books? No TV, no microwave, no books, ain't no library call, ain't none of that. It is ridiculous. So you're in there 23 hours a day with nothing to do. Nothing to do. And I want to say this, baby. This, this, I'm, I was in a cell with no light, no electricity. But I'm, 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 I'm part of growth and development, so I'm, I'm, I'm a different type of guy in there because, you know, we used to living humane and keeping our mouth closed, and we try to push the agenda through a, a pen or some, excuse me, ARP. You know, we, we used to, to suffer. You know, because we feel like we we stronger in the cause than anybody else. But I dealt with that. No light, no electricity. This is a a a, a, a condemned a condemned cell that I'm living in, and they walk by my cell every day, and they never ask me. They say, did did anybody try to fix your lights or anything? They never ask me nothing like that. They never ask me nothing like that. Were you in Unit 29? Unit 29 L building. I'm in the middle of it. I was in the middle of it. And, 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 and uh, man, it's horrible. It's really horrible. 
The Southern Poverty Law Center sent a formal letter to the Department of Justice asking it to open a federal investigation into the prison system. Mississippi Attorney Carlos Moore recently filed two lawsuits claiming state inmates' constitutional rights are being violated. Earlier today, several hundred people rallied outside the state capitol protesting the conditions at Parchman Prison. A number of videos and photos are circulating across, uh, across social media showing food trays with mold, discolored water from faucets, and fights and other acts of violence between inmates and prison guards. The protest was led by local and national prison advocacy groups, including rapper Jay-Z's Team Rock. The protesters are calling this a humanitarian crisis and demanding inmate intervention, or immediate intervention, that is, through legislation or executive order. They are also calling on the governor to pardon some nonviolent offenders because they say the state can't afford to provide adequate staffing for basic needs in the prisons. Here's how two state senators are responding to the prison unrest. I'm not sure if, if spending more is going to be the answer, but it's something that we'll obviously will need to be looked at. And as a conservative, I can tell you the worst thing that would happen is, is if the uh, federal government comes in and, and takes over or directs us to do something, uh, it's always going to be more expensive that way, whereas we can handle it here uh, from inside our own state capitol and, and get that situation under control. And I've talked with some other senators about this. Uh, I think there are some other some options that we can look at. We can look at uh, separating violent from nonviolent criminals, uh, updating facilities where we can. Um, and, and honestly, I do think that we have an issue, uh, not just in Mississippi, but across America, where we're, we're criminalizing uh, too many um, people. We're, we're, we're sending too many people to prison. These are not new issues. Uh, they actually were talked about uh, by former Commissioner Epps back in 2012 that uh, we were headed for this and, and uh, here we are, we're in it. And, and um, uh, uh, what he talked about was the fact that uh, we were headed in the wrong direction in terms of how we were prioritizing funding for the, the uh, correction system as well as what we were doing for, for staffing and, and employee support. I think this really um, warrants uh, the uh, new governor, uh, Governor Reeves, calling uh, some sort of a special session or, or other uh, drastic uh, measure uh, to, to put some action in place and very quickly. All right, so let's get straight to the point with views from both sides of the aisle now. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and the founder of the Clearwater Group. Gentlemen, good to see both of you again on that issue. Uh, let's start uh, our conversation with uh, MDOC Corrections and, and talk a little bit, I guess, about uh, how we got to this point. Brandon, is it leadership? Is it money? Is it staffing? I think it's probably a combination of all of those. I think MPAB, and I appreciate them doing this deep dive, they've given you a good flavor of where the different uh, stressors are coming from. And I think you heard right there at the end something that is really important for folks to think about as they look at leadership and what options may be. You heard freshman Senator Jeremy England comment about how it's a lot less expensive if we begin to address this internally and make some adjustments ourselves without waiting for the Department of Justice to 
force our hand. If you look at our neighbors next door in Alabama, they just are wrapping up a Department of Justice audit and are going to be paying a billion with a B in, in, in excess of that. That's the type of thing that doesn't go away shortly. So clearly we need to evaluate our resources. And as you heard from Mr. Mallett, uh, we, we're understaffed at Parchment. We're understaffed across the Department of Corrections. And so that has to be addressed. But we also have to look at this incarceration problem. You know, back in the 90s, we essentially took away parole for thousands of people, and we've been paying millions of dollars to house people like that since then, including nonviolent offenders. And then, of course, we added the three strikes law. So again, to Senator England's point, um, we do have to take a look at the commitment that we're making with our dollars to the system, but we also need to think about this gathering crisis of over-incarceration. So it's, it's complicated. I will give uh, Governor Reeves credit. Uh, you know, it's not a small thing that both he and Lieutenant Governor Hoseman have spent time on these properties, have looked at this thing with their own eyes. I hate what's happened over the last several weeks, but it sometimes takes a crisis like this to get the proper attention focused on it. And if we can be responsive, Austin, I think we've got an opportunity to really turn some of this stuff around. Yeah, I appreciate uh, Senator England's comments too. He's brand new state senator, um, probably wasn't prepared to be talking about corrections issue the first few weeks that he was at the Capitol. But he, like many other legislators, realized this is a crisis. What are we going to do? And I really appreciate his comments that, hey, let's get this fixed here with Mississippi, with Mississippi leaders, instead of having the feds come in. I didn't know that stat about Alabama. That's staggering, and we certainly cannot afford to have to go pay a billion dollars in fines. Uh, but look, I, I think what's most important is to, to not miss the forest for the trees here. And I'm very proud of what, of what Tate Reeves is doing. Uh, in his first week or two in, in, in office, he realizes what a major problem this is. He's showing real leadership. The, you know, he inherited this mess, okay? Uh, he, he, he just becoming governor. Um, he's trying to be, and he's said this openly, as transparent as he possibly can be via social media, if you follow his Twitter account. I retweeted something last night because I thought it was very informative. It was a series of six different tweets that just said, this is what we are doing. Here are pictures of me going and touring Unit 29 at Parchment. Um, and I appreciate that. He's also being very transparent and open with, with local media and, and, and anyone. I appreciate the fact, just as you said, that he and both he and Lieutenant Governor uh, Hoseman both have gone to Parchment to see it for themselves. Uh, I, I know that when the governor went there, he's talking with correctional officers, he's talking with leadership. He has surrounded himself with a committee of individuals that are bipartisan, Republicans, Democrats, black, white, who are going to help him figure out what is the way that we fix this crisis and we got to do it now. He's not going to sit around and wait for this committee to come back with a plan and study it. They're moving now. Okay, they are considering all the different alternatives of what do you do with this infamous, you know, people that are this infamous Unit 29. Well, he mentioned when we heard the clip from him, they're sending in teams to try to do some basic maintenance work. I think they're looking at options of potentially moving them. You have the Walnut Grove facility, which is in Leake County, which is empty right now. There could be a potential that you could move some people there. Uh, so he's leading, and I appreciate that. There's so many other things that I think he's done really well. Um, but but I, I just appreciate the fact that he knows this is a problem. He's not hiding from it. He's not blaming anybody. He's working to try to fix it and fix it right now. 
Obviously, the biggest thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest role he will have, I guess, in, in shaping the future of MDOC is he's the one who will choose the next uh, director, the next commissioner of corrections uh, in, in this state. And he's enlisted George Flagg's help with that. Uh, what can the legislature do once we have a new corrections commissioner in place to help conditions in these prisons? Well, I, have, I don't know how many years we've been doing this show now, but I have always said that I think leaders, elected leaders, whether at the national, the federal, or the local uh, state level, local level, excuse me, you've got to set priorities. And it's clear that corrections to some degrees hasn't been a priority. Or if it has been a priority, and someone someone explained to me the other day that there was there was ten or fifteen million dollars that was appropriated by the legislature last year that was supposed to go to help pay correctional officers more money or hire more of them. And I'm not so sure that that money actually made it down uh, to do that. So you've got to make sure that you figure out, is this my priority? And, and, and what is that priority? Is it we should pay these individuals more money? Probably so. From all, and I'm no expert, but from everything you hear, it's tough to get people who, um, who are, would be really good, qualified correctional officers um, to work for the kind of pay that they're getting paid. And you need more of them. This, this, this individual who just got out of parchment said that he couldn't even get out of the cell because there wasn't enough officers to allow them to go to take a shower. Well, that's ridiculous. So if I'm in the legislature, I'm thinking about, how much money we appropriate, and when we appropriate these dollars, are they being used the way that we feel from a policy perspective they're supposed to be used? Obviously, this is the squeaky wheel going into the new legislative session. Does that mean that this, uh, that corrections could get more attention than it has in the past by the legislature? It unquestionably will, and that's a good thing. I, I think, you know, there are a few things to watch for viewers at home. This Department of Corrections uh, making that commissioner selection is going to be crucial. And so, I applaud what I've heard is going to be a nationwide search. I applaud that they are thinking about this. You know, so because we haven't paid much attention to this, Austin, we haven't really stopped to consider that when it comes to commissioners in this space, there's an entire discipline behind it. You can get a doctorate in corrections. There are people who are highly skilled across this country who recognize the administrative and creative challenges that face departments like ours. And certainly on one that's kind of trying to put it together with bailing wire and duct tape, we need real leadership in that role. So I appreciate the governor for stepping back and casting that nationwide search. Juan Barnett in the Senate is the chairman of the new Corrections Committee. Kevin Horan in the House is the chairman of the House Corrections Committee. Um, a lot of focus will be paid to their committees, and having spoken with both of them, I think they're prepared to do what needs to be done. But, but really, that part that falls on the legislature. You know, we've talked a little bit about what the governor can do. The governor can do everything from move prisoners to commute people to parole, to some of what we saw in Oklahoma and places like that. Um, the legislature, I think, has its biggest hand to play in the reducing that, that crush of over-incarceration by rolling back some of the wrong-headed kind of hyperactive sentencing laws that we've passed over the years. So and they tried to address some of that last year. They tried to address some of it, but it ultimately ended up kind of toothless. And so really looking at nonviolent offenders, really looking at simple possession, really looking at some of these categories of people that are staying in there, untold amount. You know, we saw the Willie Nash case, which came to statewide prominence this week. 12 years for a cell phone. Now, that's different than the cell phone issue that you heard Governor Reeves talking about a minute ago, but just getting smart about how we're doing sentencing could go a long way towards addressing some of these problems. 
All right, let's move on and talk about uh, the public, entire, public employees retirement system, an issue that's come up there where we have four new members of the legislature elected to the House who are former state employees who are drawing retirement. And based on uh, the, the outgoing, the former attorney general's opinion that you can draw retirement and draw a legislative salary, they were expecting to be able to draw both. Now they're being told by the House Speaker, no, you either need to resign or not collect your uh, retirement. Uh, where does this go from here? And had, didn't we settle this issue before this session ever began? I think it's pretty clear the speaker's not budging on this. He believes um, that there, you're double dipping. If you are a member of the legislature and you're getting a check because you know, you're a member of the legislature, you're getting paid by the state for that, plus you're collecting on your retirement, you're getting two checks and he thinks and he's not moving. I, and I, I, I referenced my notes here to say he feels that, you know, that the, the current statutes are clear. A PERS retiree is not allowed to receive retirement benefits while serving as a member of the legislature. So he's told these four members, you got a couple of options here. One, you can resign. Two, you cannot, or you cannot get your uh, retirement. I guess those would be the, the, the options that they have. And he, I don't see him budging, and uh, I, I, I appreciate his stance on this. Uh, well, Brendan, you're a lawyer. Does that, does that take precedence over a, a, an attorney general's opinion, his interpretation of the law, which said you can draw both? This is political. I mean, Speaker Gunn's wrong on the law, he's wrong on the policy, and he's wrong on the math. The statute does not prohibit this. The PERS board has spoken on this. They voted in favor of it. Not only the attorney general's weighed on this, the IRS, federal, Donald Trump's IRS has weighed in on this. So the speaker has carved out a position of one over and against some pretty learned legal entities that have said this is acceptable. He's totally wrong on the math. Double dipping is not what this contemplates because what is required under what PERS ruled was you can work part-time and continue to receive retirement benefits. And so what that means is, if they followed what PERS instructed, uh, these members would receive a part-time legislative salary and then get their retirement. When I think about that, they're going to be receiving their retirement anyway. If they were working with a part-time legislative salary, they'd actually be saving the state money because those four members would not be receiving what four other members who came into the system would. So he's also not, I mean, this is actually a small savings opportunity for the state. But the policy piece of this is what's striking. The way that we're currently set up and what PERS was trying to address is the fact that retired Mississippi teachers and other public employees don't have a pathway to serve in the legislature and receive benefits that they have earned over the course of their employment. And do you know what that capital needs about as much as anything as retired teachers? Folks who have been classroom educators who understand the issues facing our K through 12 learning community colleges and universities and we've essentially barred them with this kind of strange uh, numbers of thing that, as, as I said, in, in Gunn's own math, just frankly doesn't add up. You save money by letting them serve. I don't think the speaker's budging. PERS has $17 billion in unfunded liabilities. They got major issues over there. And we will hear more of this, I'm sure, because they have to make a decision about what they're going to do, these uh, these new members of the legislature. We should point out they are Republicans, and so is Speaker Gunn. So there's not a, uh, it's not a Republicans against Democrats issue with uh, in that uh, in that particular case. So it just adds one more layer of interest. Thank you all both for joining us, as always. And uh, we are out of time. We thank you for joining us. We want to let you know that you can watch Governor Tate Reeves' State of the State address here on MPB. You can listen live on MPB Think Radio or stream online Monday evening at 5. And don't forget you can watch at issue online at mpbonline.org. Thanks for joining us. Good night.
Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.